There is a video made by an artist whose work I follow, Z. Frank. And the screen begins in total black. And next, he takes out 28,835 jelly beans and dumps them out. So you're looking from above, and all you can see are these colored dots spilling out into the frame. And as he spreads out this mountain of candy, he explains each jelly bean represents one day in an average person's life. <coughs> then he sets aside about 5,400 beans that represent our days growing up to about age 15. Z. Frank then animates the remaining beans into shapes representing the time we spend on daily activities. So for example, he calls out about 8,400 beans and they take on the shape of a moon and the window, bed, Z's, representing how many days of our life we spend in bed asleep. We use about 3,200 for working, and 2,600 are allotted for staring at the television. Over 1,000 jelly beans we spend in the car. And then 720 days, or beans, are spent on religious and civic activities, charities, taking classes. And then after Z. Frank has gone through all our major life activities, the diminished number of beans remaining, he scoops them up into a nice, tidy little square box and says, so this is what we have left for laughing and swimming and making art, going on hikes, reading, and checking Facebook. <laughs> he ends by asking what are you going to do today? And leaves a single jelly bean in the middle of the frame. Part of his intent is to make us aware of the gift of time and the choices we make. It's a variation on today is the first day of the rest of your life. Except today, what I want to look at are all those beans he swept away. I want to look at all those daily, repetitive tasks we all have. I want to talk about the 1,600 days for eating and drinking that we have, and the almost 700 beans that represent bathing, grooming, and other bathroom-related activities. We spend more time in our lives doing things over and over again than we do doing something novel or unique. For example, all of us here have chosen to spend Sunday morning together up on the hill. And many of us do it over and over and over again. So why do we bother to keep doing the same thing? Stone soup is another example. Every year about this time, the congregation listens to the fable. You've all heard it before. You know how it goes, and you know how it's going to end. 
Yet it's really satisfying to hear it again. Repetition is useful. We don't grow out of that fundamental need to be retold archetypal stories. The Bible is based on that. Every artist knows the value of repetition. One object may be interesting on its own, but with two, there begins a dialogue. And with three or more of the same shape, patterns begin to emerge. The same is true with writing and words. Repetitive patterns are soothing to our internal sense of order and balance. Cognitive scientists have used the phrase enchanting the brain when describing that mesmerizing effect of repeating rhythms in music. As that chorus returns or the melody reclaims the same series of notes, the music becomes increasingly familiar and likable. Our brain begins anticipating the melody and chorus. If any of you made it to see Garth or are going to, Everyone's going to be singing along because they know these tunes and these words. This matter of repetition lies not only at the heart of the artistic process, but it's actually at the core of the scientific method. A fundamental principle of research is the requirement an experiment be copied by many others and yield the same results. So repeatability is evidence of truth or of a certain truth. So let's work our way back to stone soup. Repetition is built into folk tales, beginning with the words, once upon a time. The phrase primes us to listen, once again with a certain suspension of belief and playfulness. As I briefly showed during our Wonderbox discovery, stone soup has been told in many different cultures and in many different ways. Scholars who think about these things trace the repetition of plots and structures of folk tales. For example, stone soup and related fables are assigned a number. The Arne Thompson Uther number to catalog its type. Stone soup number is 1548, meaning it falls under all those similar tales centered on a clever person who brings wisdom into a situation. The story of the emperor's new clothes is related because like stone soup, a person sees through events in a way that no one else does, seeing into the deeper reality. So solutions in this category of stories don't come from supernatural powers, but from common, normal insight, born out of repetition. So this humanist aspect of stone soup corresponds to our collective 
understanding that difficulties can be overcome by our wits and can be overcome collectively. Life's issues are not waiting for a supernatural force to save us. Our time on this earth is the time we have to help each other. It is one of the reasons the story lingers as a recurring element in Hope Church's liturgical year. The story celebrates the human ingenuity of the soldiers. Although some of us may bristle at the soldiers' hustle, their trickery gets the town folk to share their meager supplies. But sometimes that's what it takes, like the townsfolk when we need to be reminded that we really should be generous. Someone needs to interrupt our patterns and remind us we do have things, even though they feel meager, to share with others. Repetition is built into the structure of most folk tales, Patterns of three being common. And the soldiers relied on the repetition of song and the repetition of request to add ingredients. So stone soup is about tricksters interrupting ingrained repeated patterns of caution and meagerness. But repetition has two sides an opposing side. Something that repeats becomes a source of familiar comfort and a way of coping such that our thousands of jelly beans are devoted to watching television or cooking. And yet, at the same time, repetition is an illusion. Every moment, every moment is a different moment. And we are different people in that moment. I completely agree with Gertrude Stein. The question of repetition is very important. And it's important because there is no such thing as repetition. The Greek philosopher Heraclitus of Ephesus puts the endless variations of life this way. No man ever steps in the same river twice. For it's not the same river, and he is not the same man. So we live in this constant state of paradox. We have a life filled with thousands of moments, hours and days of repetitive tasks and responsibilities, or tens of thousands of jelly beans. Yet no moment is ever truly an exact copy of another. Ever. So what a healthy religious life does is make full use of this contradiction. We're programmed by our culture to look down upon the drudgery of any kind of repetition or routine. People who learn through repetition are thought to be dullards with no imagination. I don't know if any of you have seen The Karate Kid, where a Japanese martial arts 
master has his young students spend the day waxing cars and sanding floors, repeating the same circular motion all day. This isn't karate, the boy complains. But then we realize that spiritual practice is all about repetition and routine. The power of prayer and meditation and yoga, exercise, coming to church each Sunday, and all those other spiritual disciplines, the power lies in their regularity. They become regular, like a faucet dripping on the ground of our hearts. Routine plays a central role in monasticism. The daily schedule consists of the same prayers and chores repeated over and over again until members see the holy in the ordinary and are grateful. I try to call that up all the time when I do laundry or think, oh my God, how many times have I folded this? And it helps. It makes it... Holy's not the word I might use, but it does make it holy. The word routine originally meant a route or course of travel for trading or a religious pilgrimage. And it's only recently that that word routine has come to mean ordinary or of no special purpose. The little chores in our kitchens, bathrooms, living rooms become spiritual practices because they bring us back to ourselves. When you bring energy and attention to each of your activities, you're no longer engaged in maintenance. You're involved in what the Buddhists call being awake. The soldiers in stone soup wake up the villagers to new possibilities in a seemingly routine day. Devotional life is deepened by repetition and routine. Prayer beads, that's what prayer beads are about, used by Hindus and Buddhists, Christians and Muslims for centuries. Counting prayers while fingering is a universal repetition soothing, calming, leading to introspection. So that author for our first reading, Sailing Home, reminds us that each moment in the ever-repeating pattern is by virtue of the repetition, repetition always new. Whatever comes around again in the great cycle of things is always fresh. I actually tried to show you Arlo Guthrie's Alice's Restaurant because <laughs> there's that moment where he says, okay, wait, it's going to come back around again. The next time you want to ditch a practice or zone out in what seems boringly repetitive, remind yourself that you can make it fresh by your attitude, by your intention. 
being alert to the ever-transient and impermanent nature of life's repetition is what our work is. Those remaining jelly beans we have for daily tasks are the moments where we begin to wake up to the differences each moment brings. The way to take what we experience in our continually coming together each Sunday morning is to notice all the way life repeats and that it never repeats. And it's in that contradiction where change takes place. May it be so.